Welcome to Farming the Depths of Eternal, a constructed podcast all about brewing. Each episode, we do a deep dive on a card and brew some decks around it and see how far we can take it. I'm Patrick of Potomire Online, and this week we have a brand new guest, and that's I'm a Straight from WSG. Uh, we figured with the new set out, you know, it has, it's been a while since one of these, uh, one of these episodes have come out, so a lot has changed in the world of Eternal. And so I figured, new set, new patch, time for a new guest. So uh, thank you for coming on such short notice, uh, Straight. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm glad we have a fresh face uh, on the podcast, uh, keeping things to, keeping things new. Yeah, I'm very excited for a fresh perspective on, uh, on these cards in this game. So, yeah, like I was saying... Um, Huge, huge changes. It feels like, you know, we hadn't gotten a chance to release an episode about the fact that a new set came out, really, and the new cards. And before we did that, now there's been a big patch uh, shaking things up. So I think, I'm assuming, unlike me, most of the listeners to the show have played a bunch of the set, has gotten a feel of the different cards that are kind of doing well. And so I was thinking we could cut through the chase and kind of just talk about the patch first and get your thoughts uh, as someone who has played Constructed in the last couple weeks. Uh, yeah, um, albeit uh, have had a, a decent amount of work, so not uh, not too much constructed but uh but yeah I, I i definitely dabbled uh in the new format uh did did a few different brews um but uh should we should we start with the patch notes yeah i i think uh it's yeah i think we should um there were a few cards that were nerfed and then a couple cards were buffed this will not be in any particular order um the f- First card that got hit uh, seemed very targeted at our show, um, and that is Catalyze went from uh, 2FF to 3 Fire. And Catalyze was the uh, discard a card to draw two cards, and those gained double damage. Yeah, and as an outsider's perspective here, uh, I remember this was the very first... um brewing episode of of the show so uh i look forward to all the other nerfs that are going to come as uh as all these different cards that we break on the show are uh are featured yeah i know it's really a matter of time before you know direwolf catches up to our catalog i think and realizes the other cards that need to be hit that's right but so do you Uh, think this kills the card it's it's an interesting change um on on the one hand it increased in total cost on the other hand it makes um it makes it easier for car for decks that are more than two factions to to play the card more easily i think it probably hurts the card pretty significantly for throne but it probably makes it a little bit easier for a format like Expedition. So 
it's kind of hard to evaluate this change in the abstract. Um, but I suspect that the catalyzer is going to see a lot less play just because of the nature of what, what decks were actually playing it. Right. Because I think it hurts, right, the aggro decks that were using it, which is, I think, one of the things that they they mentioned. Um, that since sort of Catalyze was printed, these like aggro decks have gotten stronger and stronger, uh, especially in Throne. Um, and then it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting because I feel like outside of the aggro decks, which really care about the low cost, then yeah, I, I I guess I wonder. It's like as a combo card, maybe it doesn't hurt it because it allows you to, like you said, sort of expand your faction range and therefore maybe improve the rest of the combo to make up for the fact that it costs more than three. But I really can't think of how we're comboing with this currently. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily put it in a combo camp as much as it was being played in decks that wanted that draw effect without necessarily playing the colors that would traditionally have the draw effects. Mm-hmm. So a deck that comes to mind real quick would be a rebuild, uh, for example. So that that's where it starts getting a little bit more difficult to evaluate abstractly if the cost increase is substantial or not but realistically it would make a difference um just in throne have making it you know 50 percent more expensive um is is likely pretty impactful whether there's a an adequate replacement it's like i'm not 100 percent sure without um testing out a few things but but it I do think it's going to be impactful. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess I was thinking, like, in the context of Rebuild, right? Rebuild already has these very intense color requirements. And so the double damage, you know, like, you were using Catalyze not because of the double damage text, but because of the draw card text. Yeah. And then it's like, I feel like the drawing card text gets worse, obviously, as the cards get more expensive because and also gets worse as they become easier to cast in a sense, because if you're already in a deck that can like splash a single fire catalyze, why don't you just splash a single primal and and have a similar effect for cheaper. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's why I was Um, thinking, like in my head, I was thinking combo, but what I really meant is like decks that, like because we're talking about splashing this, we really want to use the whole part of the Buffalo, you know, like that you need, a, a deck would really want both the draw and the double damage. And there's nothing like that that comes to mind right now. In, for me yeah same here honestly i'm a little bit confused about this change i I don't know how problematic the card was 
as it was. Um, but it's changed. Yeah. And it, it'll impact how it's, how it's played. Um, I, I definitely, I can definitely tell you that if you're, when you're playing against it, when your opponent casts catalyze and they draw fresh new cards, you're, you're scared, right. That, that they might hit really well. And sometimes it's, it feels a little random as to how good of a hit you're going to, you're going to have, but, but I suppose with, um, with maybe the next card that we're going to be talking about also being around in the format, um, I could see this change being relevant for, for expedition. So it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was like uh kind of a fun, I kind of, even though it was pretty variable, I guess, uh, I found the catalyze randomness pretty fun, especially playing it. It was just like mm-hmm. felt so sweet when you when you hit something good. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So the next card that was hit was Asur Longbow, and that is a four fire fire. And it used to be a three three weapon relic weapon. Now it's a three two relic weapon. And it has Overwhelm and Versatile Summon Hunt 2. Yeah, I definitely underestimated this card. Um, mostly because of my own um, my own biases on and preferences in, in the card game. I, I try to I try to play pretty low costed things and I kind of mid range stuff goes by me without notice sometimes and this was one of those cards i don't think i i really realized how strong the card was uh when i was initially looking at the set but it it definitely it's definitely very powerful card um even not used as a relic weapon even just used as a unit weapon on a on a aegis unit yeah well i think it's one of those situations where you know like modal cards can be a little worse on both sides and still be really good. And this is as because it's a versatile weapon, this is a modal card that's actually pretty good on both sides, which I think is a recipe for a very powerful card where, you know, it can be, you know, very above rate as a relic weapon. And even like you said, as just a weapon, probably not, if it was just a weapon, it wouldn't be played, but um, yeah, agreed. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of decent units with Aegis, um, and wearing this weapon is is pretty impactful. Um, Lipa, for example, Lipa into longbow equipping Lipa is is a pretty pretty debilitating kind of um, sequence for for against an opponent it's uh it's pretty strong leepa's the three primal primal two one uh with flying aegis summon hunt two and then ultimate pay seven to transform an enemy unit or a card in the enemy player's hand into a three three frog yeah so it has the flying aegis it's also getting a little bigger with hunt itself and then you put a giant five five overwhelm weapon on it yeah, so the the unit can range. Let, let's say 
you get to hunt four times uh, in total. So uh, with that sequence, so let's say you miss on all of them and you hit like all four power, which is relatively unlikely. Um, I found to be up... very common, to be honest. But... <laughs> oh, very, very unlikely for most people. <laughs> um, I'm, can I just tell you, this is a draft thing. Yeah. But um, I was playing a film deck with the um, the six cost two two uh, primal guy that hunts for four. Right. Okay. So same exact same situation. Cast it three times with feed the hecaton in my hand. Not once did it turn it on. So from the hunt four, you needed to you needed to hit uh, two two non power cards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, pretty impressive. That is very impressive. Yeah. I, and I think I, that encapsulates I hope well. To run into you more. <laughs> my experience with hunt. I, <laughs> I hope to run into you a little bit more on uh, in draft. Um, all right. Yeah. So uh, sorry. Uh, sorry for <laughs> the side check. Sorry. Okay. You were saying uh, you hunt four, so you miss four. So even if you miss four you're still attacking with a 5-4, plus you can ramp for 4. Yeah, you're still... Essentially, you still have a formidable flying Aegis unit, um, even if you miss. And then if you hit the best you can hit, you you end up with like a 9-7 Aegis flyer, uh, which is just really difficult for the opponent to deal with. Yes. All right, but so do you think this, I mean, Longbow was a card that was even seeing play in Throne previously and like sort of mid-range Stonescar was coming back. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that this change is going to, I don't know that this change of one defense is going to really make that big a difference as to whether people want to play the, the card or not. I think it's just going to be, marginally worse in that you know it will stay alive a little bit less than it would otherwise and i I don't think it's gonna change the amount that people play the card okay yeah yeah i was just wondering if maybe there was a difference in you know even though it was like powerful enough to see play with throne but throne can have very fine margins of whether cards are playable it seems to me clearly still playable in expedition uh, I would not play a card like that in Throne, but again, I misevaluated the card to begin with, so I may be misevaluating it when I say that too. Um, it just seems Throne is a different kind of format in my mind. I wouldn't be playing like a midridge Stone Scar deck to begin with. Um, yes, but I, I think it's relatively likely that you know my my view on that uh, may be incorrect as well all right so next is uh i think the marquee card of the set and that was hive queen uther uh which went from 5tt to 6ttt and uh uther's text is um now like i said six cost 
they're a 2-4 civilian, and they have summon play 2, 2-2-Bs with flying. And when you spend power, you gain that much life. So very powerful effect. Um, likely the card that was single-handedly responsible for the average the average game uh, length being twice as long, if not more, than the previous expedition format. Um, it just it basically invalidated a lot of strategies just because of the amount of life that you would gain. So it made it very difficult for for an opponent to play something very aggressive without having interaction for Uther. It's a pretty heavy hit at both increasing its cost and its influence requirements. I'm not sure that it was necessarily needed to do both, but that's what they chose to do, so it's substantially more difficult to play now. I think a lot of people probably put Uther and Zayat as the two kind of standout um, units of power level uh, from the new set. Um, and some people said that Uther was, they had it higher up on their list, but I think, in my opinion, it was reversed. I think Zayat is substantially better than Uther to begin with. Um, so I'm surprised to see, for example, Zayat is not going to be on this list that we're going to talk about, but Uther got such a heavy hit. So yeah, yes. kind of interesting. Well, do you think... I don't know. Like, I guess from, you know, my perspective... I just have trouble viewing Zayat, who is the um, the four shadow shadow uh, four four that on summon allows you to sort of exploit. So you get to take a card from your opponent's hand, and then has in tomb play a justice or your opponent draws a justice sigil to replace the the card that you stole, uh, and also has deadly. It's just like. I get that it's a guaranteed two for one in, most of the time because the justice, even when you kill it, the justice sigil is not doing much, I don't think. But like, it's just like kind of a, feels like a fair card. Like once it hits the board, it's not doing much. I mean, obviously attacking for four with deadly is is like pretty powerful, but it doesn't have overwhelm or anything. Uh, compared to Uther, where it both has a pretty good summon and long-term game effect, which feels much harder to deal with. Yeah, it's... I guess the difference is that Uther does not require you to deal with it depending on what deck you're playing. If <laughs> yes. your plan <laughs> was to be very aggressive then it's substantially good against you. If you're playing a mid-range or a control deck, you could kind of care less about your opponent's life gain. It doesn't matter. It just means that the game is going to last, you know, 20, 25 turns. Yeah. Um, Though I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like even if you're in a mid-range deck, depending on... 
what kind of mid-range deck, the, the life gain could still matter. Obviously, if you're like a mid-range deck that's ending on like a Haymaker, kind of like the Katra decks do, where you're playing like uh, Asendel or the Subversion or something like that, then it's like, who cares about the life gain? Uh, but if you're just like, I don't know, playing some like Tienan deck, you know, if they gain enough life, you're just giving, I don't know. It also gives the person who gained, the, the person who played the Uther, who gained the life, more time to draw themselves back into the game. Yeah, it just, it just lengthens the game, really. That's, yeah. I think that's, that's what you're observing. So that, so then it becomes a different kind of consideration as to whose top end uh, can be better and then can you just grind over time. So an example with the Tinan deck, if you're playing against Uther, then you're going to play in a way where you're going to get to eight influence for your Alhead and then start producing humongous units. And then realistically, it won't matter if they're at 60 life, if you have a board full of like 10, 10 units, because you can still attack for 50 damage at the same turn. Um, so you're not like, um, you're not a, a deck that has a bunch of uh, three attack units that you're trying to dwindle the opponent's life total down as quick as possible. That once they've gained these humongous chunks of life, uh, you're not really able to, to take them back down because you've used up all your resources to do to do that. The the top end of teen index, they can produce really big units late in the game. They can just keep and they can keep doing that. Um Yeah, I guess what I'm just describing is yeah, it extends the game too much. And because you're if you're the deck playing Uther and you know the game's extended though, because like even in this Tienan example, in this Tienan deck that's not playing Uther for some reason. <laughs> um, you, you know, yes, they're able to get big, but if the game goes long, but you're also the one playing Uther and therefore you're also trying to make the game long. So it's probable that you have a plan outside of Uther too, that you're trying to draw to. Yeah. And, um, yeah, That's fair. so I, I, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it was like, I think it was interesting that they printed the card. I always like, I feel like they do a couple of these every set, and maybe this is this is like a a game design thing that you're just like supposed to do because Magic does this too, where there's just like a couple cards that are so clearly way above the rate of every other cards and i always look at it and i'm like couldn't you just like spread this out a little bit i don't know <laughs> and make like a couple of the cool cards that are clearly just misses into like maybe hits and then this definitely hit into like probably hits kind of thing but um because it felt like it was the best five drop for time and so kind of like they said in their description where they don't want it to just necessarily be a deck that every time deck felt or every deck that played time felt like 
that they needed to play. Uh, yeah. An expedition, because of the way the format is, it's possible that most decks that play time will still somehow, you know, end up being built in a way to play it. Yes. But I guess quickly going back to Zayat, because we started talking about it, um, the reason that I think that card is better uh, and kind of bridging bridging why when I was saying that Uther is it's particularly good against a certain type of deck and just invalidates that strategy entirely, which is a bad place to be card design-wise. It's not nice to have a card that just invalidates a certain strategy completely. And the same points that people make about a combo deck invalidating mm-hmm. a specific strategy entirely if you don't have cards to interact with the combo deck. Um, Zayat is just good against every deck. Um, and the And the big... Th- thing about it is not that it doesn't really have that big of a detriment on the entomb effect that they just gain a sigil and that's that's it it's to me and i I keep jokingly bringing it up the why does that card have deadly um so you you play your your four cost four four which is a it's a well-statted unit for the cost right it's not something that is is um, you won't just play that card if it was a vanilla four cost four four in constructed. Uh, you'd probably be happy enough to play a vanilla co- four four cost four four in, in limited, but in constructed that is not excessive, right? But it has an exploit attached to it, which is a really good effect. And then the fact that it also has deadly makes it so that it can just block blockade the board no matter what unit the opponent has. So you play it, get rid you get rid of their best card in hand, and then it can deal with their best unit in play most of the time. Um, I think that that is a problematic combination. Um, I don't think that card should have deadly. That's that's kind of my my viewpoint on it. Yeah. Um, I do you think in that it could partially be just because you like combo decks that are hurt more by an exploit-like effect? I mean, that's the thing about my my notes on the card is not even about the exploit. Like, that's a good effect. Uh-huh. And it's... And it, the decks that are playing it, even in Throne, they have now the eight exploits. So... As a combo player, I have to, I have to keep that in mind. That I have to design decks that kind of address the fact that now there's even better hand hate. So, you know, make making different adjustments. My issue with the card is not even that it discards a card. My issue with the card is that it also has deadly on it. Right. I don't think it should have all those combinations of things. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. You know, like the example that I think of is is as a close comparison, is Old Tazbu, which, granted, had its own restriction of being five shadow, 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 shadow. Um, and so it was obviously had a much more restrictive cost than Zayat had. But, you know, like that, to me, had a similar effect. I mean, I guess after they buffed it so that when it was the, when it was, 
Oh, it's a six six, right? It's like a it was a five plus six six. Yeah. Six six with deadly and when it or any other shadow unit died, you drew a card. And so it, it like in in my sense, like they're very comparable cards where they're almost always they're always a two for one. And then you just had this ridiculously sort of in in um Tazbu's case, uh overstated deadly unit that was just very problematic to get off the board without a kill spell. So the the only difference uh, that Tazbu has from what it was at to what it is now is just two defense, right? It, it, so it was a five cost six, six that does exactly the same thing as the card does now, but now it's a five cost six, four. Yes. Yeah. So it's an, it's an interesting an interesting comparison. Um, and like Tazbu has the, warp. Let's and Tazbu has warp. You you basically draw a card from if you warp it, in that it it just from that uh, from that fact alone. Um, I think I think Zayat is pretty substantially better than than Tazbu is. Right. Um, but isn't I mean again this is a lot of hand waving and like ignore the influence requirements for a second but like yeah. for, for me that would come down to just the the exploit part of it or am, am I missing something the average card that you would draw is probably worse than you looking at your opponent's hand and picking their best card mm -hmm. in the particular moment to address. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, again, I, I'm not feeling very strongly about, about this opinion. It's more me sort of processing and working yeah, through. Yeah. Devil's advocate situation um, how sure. good Zayad is but it, it's interesting when i think about it through the lens of tazbu where you know like it is true that like it, it like tazbu like the floor is slightly lower but the also the ceiling i think is much higher i guess maybe <laughs> except if you play Zayat and steal Overloader or something. But, you know, where Tazbu can also draw multiple cards and it became, can become like yeah. a, a... It's not... So it's it's interesting because my... The way that I look at the card, it's not just a card advantage thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's... Tazbu is not a particularly... It's not a particularly good card against all strategies. Um, it's not really good against combo for example right it's not really good against aggressive ducks um it's right. really good against attrition it's really good against um control decks because you know you're able to establish a board and then they kill stuff and then you draw cards and you're able to establish a board again yeah. a card like zayat is good against everything yes um i mean i felt well, decks. yeah yeah yeah, no, you should continue. I was just going to make the aggressive deck point where Tazbu's also, I mean, just as, especially when it was a 6-6, six, six felt hard to get through. And then it's like, I guess the question is, the the reason Zayat 
is good against aggressive decks is the exploit sort of shrinks their hand by one. Because it, it's like... Yeah, it, I mean, it gets rid of their reach. Yes. And it produces a substantial blocker to trade with. And if for some reason they're able to produce a unit that's bigger than the Zayat, it will still trade with them. Yeah. Um, so they, they're not even able to pay five to grow their uh, their 2-1 Overwhelm I don't remember the name of the card, but it's 2-1 Overwhelm, and then you can pay 5 to make it into a 6-5 Overwhelm. So that card, the aggro deck can can you know spend their turn uh, making that into a unit that's bigger than the Zayat, but it still trades with the Zayat for a cost of the Zayat player taking 2 damage. Yeah. Um, it's good against the combo decks, it's good against the control decks. It's just a card that would be ubiquitously... You're playing Shadow, you're going to play that card, no yeah. matter what. Um, yeah, which is kind of a similar argument to the Uther, that, hey, you're playing Time, you're going to play Uther. But in this case, it's actually good against all opposing arch archetypes, as opposed to just, hey, let me just artificially slow down the, the game by multiple, multiple turns, um, because we're gaining a ton of life. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting argument. I, I mean, yeah, it's. I think that is something to think about because, again, like my my feeling is like, yeah, Zayat is probably pretty good against everything, like you're describing, but it feels within within the bounds a little bit, where it's just not. Since none of the matchups, it's just like so overwhelmingly good it's just like it's just like because it's like oh it's pretty good in all these matchups it, it feels fine where uther is just like uh a pretty good card in most matchups and then just has this huge spike of power level in certain matchups and yeah. so and so um yeah it's very interesting sort of philosophy of what what constitutes a too powerful of a card yeah, that's fair. Um, Popotito actually said something in the uh, main Discord that was kind of funny. It was uh, Zayat discards Uther, therefore Zayat is better. But <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's that. Uh, it was more of a joking comment, but, uh, but uh, I thought mentioning it. Was kind of yeah, funny. now you and now you get a whole extra turn to possibly do that. Yeah. All right, so uh, we'll go through a couple more of these nerfs. Uh, the next one was Alluring Predator, which was a 5-5 and now is a 3-5. And... Yeah, it was a very strong card. Yeah, I'll um... just read it. So it's a 5-cost fire time time, and now a 3-5 beast with charge. When Alluring Predator attacks, hunt one. When Alluring Predator hunts a power... Draw a card. If it hunts a unit, play a 2-2 Flying B. Otherwise, you gain 4 life. Um. Um, yeah, so it was a very, very strong card. Um, and somehow potentially still overshadowed by, um, by Uther. In that it's also a 5 drop in time, so... If you you wanted to play Uther, then would you also play Predator? But 
but it 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 was a scary clock when it was in play. It would kill you very very quickly. I don't know how how good it is now in comparison, um, other than it being better in Spire Shadow decks. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, though it's funny that it just like kind of it it just gains its old stats back. I mean, it's then two cost cheaper in Spire Shadow, but it's funny that it's not like one of these huge like spikes in power level when you switch its costs and uh, and power. Yeah. It's also this was a pretty I think clearly powerful card. It's like I don't know. Again, this one didn't like strike me. I think part of it is I've actually had this a couple times in draft and I just like can't process all the possibilities. It's interesting to me that they decided to get so granular with the hunt with this card. I feel like there's no other hunt card that's like this. It like really cares like specifically what card was hunted beyond the normal binary. Um, so I felt like I just attacked with it and then I was like never really sure what would happen, but usually something pretty good so you, you don't even think about it it is kind of strange yes uh it, the way that it interacts with the, the hunt ability is a little bit of a of a strange design it certainly a very strong card uh certainly particularly strong if you in constructed you were playing it with uh units that would accelerate your power so ra- little ramp units or getting it in play uh, sooner than turn five. It would definitely snowball very, very quickly. So if you didn't have an answer to it quickly, it would basically, you would lose the game. Um, I think probably necessary to trim it back in power level. Um, but I, I do think that the 3-5 the is a substantial reduction in power for the card. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see if it, you know, still sees play or if it's something that will in the right deck or if it's something that um, won't be won't be played quite as often. Yeah, yeah, it it's it's interesting because again, I, I like I sort of thinking in the context of Throne where it's just like hard for me to believe that that like a unit with charge like a big unit with charge with no other evasion like overwhelm or flying is really all that powerful (laughs) or not all that powerful it's powerful but like above the beyond the pale you know and then like you just like consider this compared to uh the uh, the phoenix the 3-1 with double damage that like buffs your top three cards in different ways and then you like look at this and you're like it's like inferno phoenix is has flying charge you know it hits you for six and gets a benefit when it dies well this is just like this can be chumped forever and you know your opponent's 
gaining a lot of value if you do that, but it's just like, it's not killing you if you're able to still play ground units. So it's it feels like for Throne that it wasn't too powerful in its previous state, but I could imagine Expedition with fewer answers, fewer good units, it could be a problematic card. Yeah, I a five drop in Throne needs to be pretty spectacular, I think. Um, or it needs to really fit in a specific strategy so well that it kind of is stand out. A card like a Learning Predator and Throne would not fit in the same decks that Inferno Phoenix would, I think. Inferno Phoenix just overall is a little bit better because just evasion and doing six is kind of what it was used for. And then uh, it has that ability that like, most of the time, right, we played it with Crack the Earth or something like that that is specific to five-cost units. Alluring Predator also five-cost unit, but the slot in your market won't be, it, like you were mentioning, it's not there to push damage. So there's a specific reason why you would want a card like Alluring Predator is to get that incremental advantage that it would be giving more so than um, that it would be the best unit to, to kill your opponent with at five cost. So what decks would play a card like that? I'm not 100% sure, but it probably would involve some kind of mid-range uh, project deck, um, potentially like a charge rod deck. Uh, but it's a fair it's a fair note that they put on the nerf that says that the change should make the hunt outputs more relevant instead of being an icing on the cake of a huge attacker. Uh, I think that's that's a fair way of looking at it. You know, five cost five five charge comes attacking in right away, keeps growing, keeps drawing you cards or making additional units. Maybe a little bit too much all at once. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's interesting because I almost have the opposite feeling where it's like my problem. When I have a problem with Hunt, it's when it really matters the result of your Hunt. And that's what I feel like, like what they're describing and what, and what happens when you lower its stats. Uh, and I don't know if this is too low or not, but you know where you're just like, okay, well, I really need this to be a 4-6. Or, oh, I really need the 2-2 two -two flyer this turn because... It's just not good enough on its own. And it's just like when it was on rate slash above rate, then it was icing on the cake. So then it was for me, it was just like, oh, <laughs> like who cares what I got? It was just like, but I, but in the sense that I was like happy, not that I didn't care, but that I was happy no matter the result. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Anyway. That's just me, uh, you know, being a little sad about Alluring Predator <laughs> <laughs> getting nerfed. Because uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I like, yeah, maybe There's... I just really like cards, <laughs> strong cards that do it all. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I guess, mean, what we're getting out of this. I, f I, I, I would say that on an average, I'm more surprised by these nerfs than I am like, ah, oh, yes, of course, this was... This had it coming. Um, on average, as I look through the nerfs, that's... You know, I, I'm i a person that probably 
thinks that cards should be nerfed less conceptually overall. Um, so I have that bias for sure, but it, it will keep going through these on the list, but it, it definitely uh, feels like there's more cards here that, that got adjusted that that don't necessarily make too much sense to me, but it's possible that, you know, that, that they are being too oppressive and, and they looked at them and they, they realized that this is not, um, this is not uh, friendly to a variety of different strategies or to players that, you know, maybe don't have full collection of cards or generally speaking, people playing the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's like that, um, last point is touched on with like uh the champion of fury uh which is a very old card was nerfed again it was a originally a 2-2 now then was a 2-1 and now is a 1-1 um and that is um what's it do it gets plus two and plus two plus two in charge right um it gets plus two attack for um uh, if you have completed your primal, double primal, I want to say, and it gets uh, charged if you completed the fire. Let me double check on my, on my. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Uh, incorrect. I am incorrect. It gets <laughs> plus 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 one attack and charge. Uh, if you have two fire, and it gets plus one attack and overwhelm. If you have to primal so um it ends up being it used to end up being a 4-1 charge overwhelm unit and now it becomes up to a 3-1 charge overwhelm unit um and it gets its power incrementally for completing each of your double influence requirements on the card yeah and uh they've uh, mentioned this in a previous patch, but Skycrag Aggro slash Yetis has is a pretty constantly has a very high win rate in their metrics, and this is a card where I feel like the best players are like, but Skycrag Aggro is unplayable. Um, why are you, why do you keep nerfing it? But then their metrics keep showing it overperforming, and I think they've even said it's not just like overrepresented but also has an incredibly high win rate um and i think one has to assume based on these two opinions that it's probably in lower ranks where its win rate is the highest but that is also where the vast majority of players are playing and so it's, yeah it's this is an interesting nerf where it's it's targeted to a group that the maybe the most enfranchised players or competitive players don't really see, don't really see, or can't really appreciate. Yeah. Although that being said, it doesn't. To me, it, I'm I'm no Skycrag um, aggro aficionado, but Champion of Fury was not the best card in that deck, so. If you're specifically targeting that deck, I don't see why you target this card. Well, I but see that's I think that's would be that's why I feel like it is not towards it's not trying to affect 
competitive play. It's trying to affect play of people whose Skycrag Aggro decks have Champion of Fury as one of its best cards. Do you know what I mean? Like we're not we we're not we're not targeting the people who have every possible Skycrag aggro card at their disposal. Yeah. We're trying to lower the win rate of people who maybe don't have a full collection but have Skycrag aggro and are winning at a 70% win rate or something with that deck because the people the people they're playing who also don't have full collections are playing not Skycrag aggro and those decks don't compete. And that that would be that. my my interpretation of why they would hit this card as compared to maybe a, a stronger card. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but uh, a lot of that is conjecture. But like, I think they're trying to. Yeah do something like do something like that make this a targeted nerf for and also it not being the best card also means like it won't hurt the deck as much as some other cards might yeah know. yeah uh, it feels feels like a weird change but i'm here for it yeah yeah it i agree it feels like a weird change it feels like champion of furry is not that great of a card like you were saying but it also feels like a change that i don't want to question too much because it seems so weird to me it, it's it, for me it's very reminiscent of like like you know like when they took overwhelm off of milo and people like really were like what or like this is way back when they made um, Humbug Swarm from five cost to six cost. And people are like, but Humbug Swarm was barely even played in Praxis tokens. And then it's like, well, it might not be in the best Praxis tokens deck, but it's in the Praxis tokens deck. It's winning a lot in the Praxis tokens decks where people are playing uncommon, you know, five cost uncommons. Um. Anyway, that that's my piece about that. I don't think we need to talk much about it, um, despite talking a lot about it, because it doesn't re <laughs> really affect uh, competitive play, even at the levels that we're talking about on the show. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to need you to explain this to me um, and whether this was a card that was actually seeing play or not. This is uh, Dran the Farmer. Um, it is a two Combray. It's a three two. It says plus one maximum power. Ultimate pay eight. It's now pay eight to give your units without battle skills plus two plus two. Before it was pay six to give your units without battle skills plus two plus two. I mean, it, it was a good, it's a, it's, it was a good card. It is a good card. Um, Added to the list of cards that I am kind of confused as to why they got nerfed. Um, it's it's a card that has utility that just had a substantially powerful additional effect. 
at the same time, it seems really strange to nerf it. Um, I mean, they clearly they saw something. Um, you know, we haven't had a tournament or anything like that to actually see the standout decks and 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 tell what the most powerful cards within it were. Um, but between Uther uh, encouraging you to play time, um, wanting to accelerate your units, you could end up having um, lots of little acceleration units, and then its ability was pretty relevant. At the same time, those units are so... Those kind of strategies are so soft to sweeper effects that I, I really just don't understand why this would be considered that powerful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's more that their intention was for that ultimate to be less relevant on the card, and it ended up being more relevant than they thought it would be, and therefore they just trimmed it back. But yeah, added added to the the list of most of these that I'm a little bit confused as to why it's been it's been nerfed. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. I maybe it's just like killing me that this card's a legendary. It's just like if you want the ultimate to be not that relevant, then why did you why did you make this a slightly better apprentice mage? As a why did you make a slightly better apprentice mage a legendary? I don't know. Yeah, that that's a fair point too. Um, but but I agree with you. It seems like even in X. I don't know, even in Expedition, like now, especially with this latest buff, Primal has a really strong sweeper. Justice has a really strong sweeper. Um, yeah. I mean, Primal has two different five cost sweepers and it's got save the day. Um, so, like, who are control? I know that it's, it hasn't been very prevalent in the format currently, but who are control is certainly still a deck in the format. Um, there's enough things that would just kill this unit outright very easily. So I, I just, yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's strange. Yeah. I think I don't, I don't have too, too many thoughts about it other than being perplexed by the change. Yeah. I feel like I need to just do my homework and look at all these <laughs> Dran the Farmer <laughs> deck lists that I currently like can't imagine being that great. And and maybe maybe there's like a, a cards that exist in the format that I'm not think that go together to make something better than I'm imagining in my head right now. Uh yeah, so there I think um the one major card that got buffed that's sort of relevant for Constructed is Heavy Hail went from uh, requiring a discard of a sigil to discard a primal card, uh, which seems to make it much better. And this is the, I think it's three cost. It is three cost, yep. Yeah. Double primal, uh, three cost. It says uh, deal two damage. Uh, to all units, and then if you discard a now, it says now it says if you discard a primal card, which includes primal sigils and uh, dual power 
uh, power cards that have primal in them, uh, in, and any primal card. Uh, but if you discard a primal card, you add an additional two damage on top of that, and it ignores Aegis. Um, so relevant in that it says that you add another two if you buy the card back, you could discard another card again, and it would do six. Um, it's not a play that would happen very often, but I'm just explaining why it's relevant that it says it adds two damage to the effect rather than saying it now does four damage instead, and that it increments. Um, so this card was kind of barely played, but had to be played because it was the only cheap sweeper that existed in, in Primal. It was was the only answer that you would have in certain circumstances. Um, but sigils are really hard to come by, um, especially in Throne, but even in Expedition. It's, it's, you would rarely specifically have one available to you to discard. And now the card, I think, is substantially better to the point where I think it's, it's probably uh, very playable in Throne as well, not just in Expedition. Um, and you could see the discard effect now even being a positive effect because some decks want to discard cards. Um, so it could be a non-detriment. It could be like a sweeper that has an additional beneficial effect for what you're trying to, to do fundamentally as a deck. So I think, I think this card got substantially better with this change. Yes. I agree. It seems really strong. It seems like it will be really strong in Expedition. Um, and I agree, it seems playable in Throne. You know, I think, I feel like, you know, even in the name, the you know, the comparison is to Hailstorm, which used to be an incredibly powerful sort of cheap sweeper for that decks had access to, to keep themselves alive against aggro and then especially as like skycrag aggro got more and more aegis heavy it became worse and worse to the point where it hardly saw any play and the fact that heavy hail can sort of get around that and deal with aegis heavy aggressive decks or or like um then i guess even more recently all of these like which again maybe with the nerves don't see as much play, but um oh gosh. The creation project decks using um the three cost spell mm. uh stand together. Mm. Stand together. Yeah. So, you know, there's just been a history of sort of aggro decks that use Aegis to a good effect and uh being able to have access to a cheap sweeper that can possibly deal with that, I think gives can give a, yeah. a decks legs that they might not otherwise have. Yeah. The certainly the being able to get around Aegis is is a big part of what makes that card good. Um I would say that Heavy Hail is better than hailstorm as after its change so if i were building a deck and throne i would probably consider heavy hail over hailstorm for 
almost all applications, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Because usually, I mean, maybe it's mostly just the, the decks I play where I'm like, well, like, I have to put this hail, <laughs> like a hailstorm in my market just so I don't hopefully die. So I have a slightly smaller chance of just dying to aggro or whatever. And um, I think, and in those cases where you just need to do anything to stay alive, it's like the discarding a card is uh, not as, it's, you know, it's a cost, but you know, if, if your life's on the line, it's a cost you're willing to pay. Um, yeah, but I mean, certainly now that Champion of Fury is a 1-1 instead of a 2-1, you're, you're, you're less stressed about those aggressive matchups, right? Yeah, yeah, that that's well. I guess. See, this is the point. Maybe, <laughs> maybe where I'm playing, there's still going to be out there. Uh, uh, all right, so uh, that's uh, I think all the relevant changes we need to talk about. Um, hmm. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking: is we should just go straight to decks and not talk about any more cards because we kind of talked about a bunch of cards and I think like yeah, we're talking about Zaya uh, we yeah. didn't talk about Lantern and Bone Music but I'm sure they're in the decks uh, yeah and I think that's a better themselves. way so we can maybe if you just like describe the deck and be like this is this deck is kind of making making use of yeah, lantern and bone music, and uh, so and then I think we'll just describe this as like. And uh, before we get back into our brew brewing episodes, we thought we'd leave everyone with uh, you know some fun decks to try in uh, both formats. And uh, yeah, before we close out, um, I thought we could uh, go through a few decks that. Uh, straight has provided us here using sort of highlighting a bunch of the new cards and uh, to leave everyone with. And then uh, I think, you know, in the future with these episodes, we're going to go back to our usual sort of pick a pick a build around card and talk about it. But with since we haven't done an episode in a while and so many cool cards came out, we thought we would just kind of highlight a bunch of them through decks. So uh yeah, our, our first deck is uh, Menace, Dredge, and Throne. So, yeah, so we're uh, going to cover some Throne decks uh, first, and then we're going to cover some Expedition decks yes. after that. So do you want to describe this deck a little bit, and, and yeah. then I'll read it out? Yeah. Um, so this deck is um, it's quite similar to um, Random's a stone scar dredge deck that he posted on Eternal Warcry. Uh, the point of the deck is to use uh, discard effects um, and combine them with a, a lot of aggression uh, to empty your hand, produce a really large board, and then maximize the effect of bone music, uh, which is a pretty standout new card. And it's going to be in um, a few different ones of these lists, both in Throne and in Expedition. Um, definitely, definitely a very powerful card. Um, All right. Yeah. So here's the list. Of, and I'll read some of the new cards as we go down it. 
There are four ascetic lantern. That's the one fire two one with charge. When ascetic lantern attacks, discard a card and draw a card. At the end of your turn, put ascetic lantern into your hand. There's four auto tread, four blood seeker, four dark water vines, three faceless one, four gust rider, four kindling carver, four Cato Arena Herald, four Lethrai Marauder, four Sporefolk, four Bone Music, and that's the uh, three Shadow discard a card to play two zero two Maggot Swarms with plus one attack for each unit in your void, and then uh, three Fear and four Shoal Dredger, and then a mixture of power, and then the Market, since it has no Market access, uh, has uh, Invasive Species and Lethride Dead Drop as uh, bargain uh, market options that you can plausibly hit with this deck. Yeah, um, both both actual like market options are relatively straightforward to hit. The There are... Lethride Dead Drop requires you to hit the opponent by, with two elves, and Bloodseeker is an elf, and so is Marauder, and Marauder by itself produces two elves, so... It's relatively likely that you're able to to trigger the Lethride Dead Drop, and then Invasive Species is is a pretty common card that you're able to cast because you can empty your hand in very very fast in really quick order. the The highest cost card in the deck is Bone Music, so like a three drop is the highest cost card. Everything costs one seemingly, and Soul Dredger often costs zero, so your hand empties like very very quickly. Um, in this deck, Lantern yeah. is a very strong new card um, that we haven't talked about yet as well. Um, yeah, it's a pretty sweet card. It like it's cool that it feels like it's a card with multiple applications because you think like a one costs two one with charge. Like it kind of like initially reads as just an aggressive card, um, but. It's with its ability to discard a card and draw a card. Um, it like really opens up some pretty cool possibilities, and the fact that it bounces back to your hand is like you can, you know, play with that. Maybe you know it seems like it could strictly be a, a downside, but then uh, you know you can figure out ways to try to utilize that ability. It's it's just a cool card. It is a cool card. Uh, notably, if you don't have a card in your hand, it will still draw you a card. So if it's the last card, you play it out. You don't discard a card, you will just draw a card. So if you if you have no hand and you keep playing Lantern, you're just drawing a card, an additional card as well. Oh, that's, that's interesting, yeah. I failed to realize that. What I also failed to realize uh, the, the couple times I've played this is that it's not a May discard a card to draw a card yes, it is you have to you, you have, have to. to do it so when, yeah. when you have a full grip of sweet cards yeah it's sometimes tough to know whether you should be attacking with your acidic lantern or not um, yeah that's a fair point but it, it's uh yeah cool card so okay. what is the um what do you you know like with the adding primal to this uh i think the more common stone scar version you're getting Gust Rider and Lethry Marauder. Um, and so it, it, what are they bringing to the table that 
just the stone scar version doesn't have? I mean, so this is a version of, of the deck. Um, I think there's different ways to build it before I answer the, the, the direct question. Uh, there's, for example, you could be doing like cruel, um, no one to hold them things uh, to reanimate cards from your from your void. Uh, so there's different ways of adding primal to this deck. I think um, these two cards specifically, Gust Rider is is it draws you two cards for one. Um, it digs you into you know your bone music or your your really strong cards that you want to play, and then Marauder is just an all around very powerful card in these types of decks because. It's a card that allows you to have a, a variety of different toolbox answers to situations that um, are good against this deck. So you're able to deal with like the Cursed Relic that prevents you from, um, well, I guess, I guess against this deck, it doesn't really matter that much. But typically speaking, against discard, self-discard decks, you're pretty soft to cards like the Cursed Relic that prevents you from being able to uh, return things from your void. Um, so Marauder is just all around really good card. It's able to produce two units so you can Lethrite Dead Drop or just have a lot of power on the board. It can killer to kill a unit. Uh, it can discard a card that you really want to discard. So there, there's a lot of things that it does. It's it's pretty powerful and um, yeah, I I think I said the same thing fifteen times at this point, so I will stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's this deck's uh, it's just interesting to me because like the deck I have more experience is like the the film, um, the old sort of the film dredge decks where like the point really was to get a lot of units into your void to to make the the three cost unit really huge, you know, that had attack and or power and toughness equal to, you know, how many units were in the void. And then that was yeah. also taking making use of haunting scream. And then you had the four drop that gave flying and power equal to the I think the number of units in the void or something like that. You know, it felt like it that purveyor. Yeah. Well this, you know, like the only card really doing that as bone music and then kato to a certain degree and it's just like it's it's really feels it's interesting that it feels like it's narrowing its threat package down a bunch but also then playing better cards yeah too i think so that's it, a valid yeah that's a valid observation um yeah. i i think there's probably lots of different ways to build these decks um, and finding out which one the best one is requires uh, a decent amount of uh, of work, and it also depends on what a perceived metagame would look like. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, this version of the deck is less soft to the opponent uh, locking down your void in some way. If you have cards like Haunting Scream, then obviously you'll care about uh, the opponent putting that curse on you much more because it just you have dead cards at that point. Um so yeah, there's there's different different notable things about um about these uh these decks and different ways that you can go about it. 
You can also do uh, West Whispering Wind uh, things with Cruel and, and Noble to hold them, like I mentioned, um, which then has you know different considerations as to what it's stronger against and what it's weaker against. Uh, because you have a unit that deals damage to you, you, you tend to be a little bit softer against aggressive decks. Um, in all these decks, though, I think Bone Music is going to be a standout card because not only does it discard a card, which again furthers that concept of um, it's a card that has some kind of positive effect at the same time as um, you being able to discard um, a card, which which is something that you're looking for in your strategy. But in this case, it really requires your opponent to play around the card because they can they can die on turn four if if they don't produce blockers for it relatively easily. Uh, you find yourself producing like eighteen power worth of units uh, at fast speed at the end of their turn, and uh, which is it's a pretty bonkers sequence. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I, yeah, I just like when there are decks that are able to make do without a, a market because especially in sort of such tight decks like this, like, uh, again, like like the Felm deck that I was talking about, it really felt like the, um, you know, you often played the, the, uh, the Felm Smuggler and... And that was like a card that really didn't help your strategy except to draw you sort of your your market card. It was like not a unit you were really excited to play. And so it's like when cards, when decks can like be so tight that they don't need that market card, I think it's it's pretty cool and exciting. Um, all right, shall we go to the next deck? All right, the next deck is that we're going to talk about is a Marius Mandrake Spire Delivery deck. So this is making use of uh, some of our favorite cards to, or a card we bring up a lot, which is Spire Shadows. Uh, then a fan favorite, Mar Marius Mandrake, uh, a kind of a, a, a fun value card. And then uh, the new deliveries, so, which are pretty sweet, uh, fast market access cards. Um, so this deck is um, Time Primal Shadow, and uh, it is four Darkwater Vines, four Veteran Strategist, four Xenon Lifespeaker, four Arcane Seek Arcanum Seeker, four Grenahen, four Skull Market Delivery, four Marius Bandrake, Two Vine Grafter, four Aurelian Merchant, two Blight Path Smuggler, four Ebon Dune Smuggler, three Reflector, um, and this is the three Primal zero three or zero five Stealth Unit, which has an ultimate when you play another unit, reveal Reflector to transform it into a copy of that unit. If that unit is hidden, Reflector becomes hidden first. Um, so it just has a free ultimate, um, and then there are. Uh, is four Xenon Adept and three Shimmer Pack. And its market is uh, Glimpse the Possibilities, 
Send an Agent, Spire Shadows, Invasive Creeper, and Cruel Zumic Occultist. Yeah. Um, so this deck has existed for a long time. Um, I, I would say I posted a deck in Eternal Warcry with Maris Mandric and Spire Shadows probably more than three years ago. Um, and with the existence of the deliveries, I wanted to, to kind of revisit the deck with some of the newer cards. Um, I can talk through a few of the choices, but, but in essence, what, what you do with a deck is that before you play Spire, Sh Spire Shadows, you have a well-costed uh, set of cards. It's not one of those Spire Shadow decks that is just playing a whole bunch of five drops, six drops, seven drops that you can't really cast otherwise, although it does have some. Um, it's primarily playing one drops, two drops, three drops. But after Spire Shadows, what ends up happening is the majority of your cards cost zero, one, two. Um, so it then tries to use the Marius Mandrake um, ultimate drawing engine to kind of cycle through its deck, draw tons of cards, and uh, more often than not finish the game off with a Shimmer Pack. Um, so Shimmer Pack is an eight-cost card. It's a 4-4 four, four unit, um, and it has double-time, double-primal requirements. And it says that when you play it, you transform any number of other units to copies of Shimmer Pack. Now, so typically it's an eight cost four four, but for listeners that may be aware of Spire Shadows, Spire Shadows converts the cost and the power of units. So this would make uh, Shimmer Pack a four cost eight four unit. So what you're able to do is basically make your entire board into eight fours that attack immediately. If you have had a Vine Crafter, then Shimmer Pack is, also has regen. Um, if you had a Life Speaker in play when you drew your Shimmer Pack, Shimmer Pack now has Life Steal. So it's, it basically just it produces an entire board of eight fours, and you're, you kind of attack for, for uh, a big amounts of damage in the same turn. That's usually kind of what the sequence happens is just draw cards, gain life, find a shimmer pack, um, close out the game. Right. It, yeah. And so this is, you know, these due to how important Spire Shadow is to um, these kind of decks, these are usually very market heavy, market access heavy decks. And this is too, to some extent, it has, you know, the four delivery, the two vine grafter, uh, four merchant, two and six smuggler. So yeah, we're, we're playing a total of uh, 16 market effects that can get Spire Shadows. Right. The vine grafters are less ideal um, because, the, because of the, Forgetting Spire Shadows specifically because it costs two, it costs three to activate, and another two to play the Spire Shadows. So that's not Vine Grafters 
not quite there for Spire Shadow specifically, although it can also get it. it. It's there because of the invasive creeper in the market, because it's another Mandrake in play. And it's there because it has an ultimate effect. Um, so as you're starting to cycle through, you want to find more ultimates if you have Marius Mandrakes. Yeah. But yeah, the... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think Vine Grafter is kind of interesting because it's like a card that... Yeah, it's often, you know, I I feel like Marius Mandrake decks scream Vine Grafter to me, but then, like you said, and then... Um, and then Spire Shadow decks kind of scream market access, but it's not quite good enough at its Spire Shadow role, even though it's probably, it's, you know, good in its Marius Mandrake role. So it's it's kind of like an interesting conclu- inclusion. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's right or not. It's, this is kind of like an, an attempt to go through, through this uh, deck as a concept. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bump up the Mandrake count so that Invasive Creeper, uh, the Invasive Creeper interaction with Delivery uh, was something that was more reliable. Vine Grafter also stands out, or not Vine Grafter, uh, Darkwater Vines also start, stands out as not an ideal card in this deck. Again, it's here for the same exact reason. Um, more for the Invasive Creeper Delivery uh, combination. So it's possible that if you want to cut that kind of aspect from the deck, then you can also trim on the Vine Grafter and Darkwater Vines and, and do something slightly different. Yeah. Um, Though I think the Darkwater Vines is just like, I mean, I guess I don't know exactly how many discard outlets there are. We don't have deck. many. Yeah, we don't have many. Uh, we pretty much only have the, the Vows in our power. Okay. Um, there's not much. There used to be one market card access that discarded as well, but just didn't feel worth it so it it is a little bit less um there's less emphasis on triggering the vines for example but mm-hmm. as you're drawing cards as you're going through it's possible that you'll end up finding your vows like later in the game so it's it's not it doesn't matter so much that you didn't dark water vines early in my mind at least because you don't necessarily want to trigger that ultimate as soon as possible. you don't care to discard your cards it also triggers off of the opponent's discard effect um, well enough. So if you go Darkwater Vines into Marius Mandrake, your opponent can trigger the Darkwater Vines a good amount of the time as well. Right. So, you know, it's not the best card, not the worst card. It's 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 all right. Yeah. No, but I and I think I agree. It's cool that it has some other synergies and then also like zero no cost ultimates are always just the card you have to consider with Marius Mandrake. Speaking of no cost ultimates, Reflector is a sweet card in this deck. After you've Spire Shadowed, it costs zero to play. Um, and you can have some pretty funny sequences with it. So if you play Reflector into an Arcanum Seeker and you have a Marius Mandrake in play, the Reflector triggers an ultimate. It becomes an Arcanum Seeker, which also triggers an ultimate. And the Arcanum Seeker that you play also triggers an ultimate. So you get three ultimates for zero cost after Spire Shadows. 
Yes. That's one example of a sequence that you can have. And because Marius Mandrake gains you life, then Arcanum Seeker, those all the Arcanum Seekers are four of four overwhelms for two. For for zero, because the Arcanum Seeker after its cost flips. Oh, is zero. It, yeah, you're right. Is a zero cost two four to begin with. So then it goes to a six four. It becomes a six four unit, yeah. Yeah. So it, and it's not so much that you get a 6-4 unit as much as it is that you, you gain life, you draw cards, and all of that costs you zero power. Um, again, with the thought that eventually you you sort of dig into a Shimmer pack and you make your whole board into 8-4s and attack with it. Right. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I mean, this is a deck that um, I like to try out i kind of i like a lot of the little synergies that are happening here did it, were there any other card choices you wanted to talk about before we move on no i think that's a good yeah that's a good uh cool all right so this next one uh is called hunting for a conclave combo and this one i think you're going to have to explain to me a little bit um yes. <laughs> this is a huru deck and do you want to describe it before i read it or do you want to yeah sure it's a, it's a market combo deck um this sort of combination has existed before the set so um the the combination of cards is uh conclave siege um, which is a six-cost card, a fast spell, um, triple justice, triple primal, and it says when one of your units hits the enemy player this turn, play a 3-3 three, three gem blade on it and draw a card. And the interaction that it has with a card called Exec Executioner, which is a shadow unit, triple shadow, uh, two-cost, one three unit that says that when you play a card on the enemy turn, it deals one damage to them and you gain one life. The way that those two cards interact are if you have an executioner in play and you play Conclave Siege on their turn, there is a sequence that triggers that keeps dealing one damage to the opponent until they die. Um, technically, it's it's the free card limit. Uh, but in essence, the, you you end up killing them um, on their turn. So it's a little bit similar to the Kanya combo, uh, how the Kanya combo interacts with Executioner. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this combo has existed primarily. Um, the way that people played it was they would play a Huru control deck, in essence, and then that was their um, their win condition was this combination executioner conclave siege right and so this is taking it a little different in that if if you like squint your eyes you see you see like a huru kira deck <laughs> um yeah sort of and then you're like wait there's no kira in here and and then you notice a few other missing cards but i'll, I'll read it now and then um we can talk about sort of the the changes. I guess I was just meaning, um, you know, yeah, there are a number of things different than um, 
than Hurukira, but it is definitely no Huru control deck splashing an executioner combo. Um, right. So it starts with a three bubble shield, four unstable form, four Cambrai Law Mage, four of the triple shadow card executioner, uh, four plump Wunkin, four ranger prodigy, three slinking roach, four strategize, four worn delivery, four crafty infiltration, and this is what uh, a new legendary. It's the three Huru card, play a unit with cost three or less from the top seven cards of your deck and bottom the rest. Then that unit hunts two. So this is uh, one of the ways to get an executioner on the field. Uh, there are four Lippa Witch of the Woods. Uh, it's a card we read earlier, the three Primal Primal 2-1 with Flying and Aegis and Hunt 2 and an ultimate. And then there are four Rhyme Conclave Smuggler and four Winchest Merchant. And then no ways to produce Shadow. Correct. And then the market is Bring to Justice, Freeze Out, Reweave, another way to get an Executioner out. Um, Myla, that's uh, the Inscribe um, Huru card, and then Conclave Siege, which um, I'm straight already described. So- yeah, and before we, we go any further, I just want to petition, officially petition um, Darwood to change Plunk's name to Plump Wumpkin, because I think that would be a a fantastic name change. <laughs> Is that what Sorry. I said? You did. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, very very plausible. That's That's all right. That's great. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, so, okay. Can you explain what all the hunt is and why we're excited about hunting? Yeah, I... And it's possible. I I just kind of put every... As much hunt as I could, so, like... Blinking Roach maybe shouldn't be in here, and we should be looking at some different cards, maybe. Uh, but one of the things that made this deck awkward uh, was that you needed to hit six power for Conclave Siege, and that's not particularly easy. So one of the things that I thought about Hunt was that potentially it would make this deck give a different um, a different dynamic to this deck. So either if your if your hunt is uh hitting non power cards you end up with some well statted units to to be in play and to interact with with the board and if you're hitting power well then you're you're basically accelerating yourself to your um primarily you're using reweave to find your executioners but crafty infiltration also gives you an additional um additional avenue to the executioners and it also often enough can produce a merchant for three and give you the ability to accelerate further after that another thing that crafty infiltration allows you to do is when you hunt it will produce the advantage before you need to actually trade a card for your merchant so it also gives you an extra card if potentially sometimes to trade for your merchant so it's a kind of an interesting combination of cards 
Right. Yeah, I guess what's interesting is I did mention the uh, Hurukira, but uh, also I feel like maybe this is only an expedition and not in, in, in Throne. In Throne, I guess, I feel like you would just play Hurukira if you're going for this uh, crafty infiltration deck. Um, but like in, in Expedition, there's these like hunt-heavy crafty infiltration huru decks um have have those broken into throne no i don't think it's possible for those decks to break into throne just because of the fact that there's just not a high enough density of low costed hunt units right and so therefore yeah yeah you're sort of required if you're trying to play that kind of style of deck to have this combo kill in there i mean it basically all it means is that you're going to play a unit because it's good not because it has hunt right so you're not going to build you're not going to try to do the primal fox kind of deck in throne um you're going to play you you might play lipa though because it's just a standalone very good unit Mm -hmm. Uh, you might play craft infiltration because standalone very good card um, but you're probably not going to try to do a hunt deck specifically. Yeah. And so like a lot of these card choices, is this, you know, instead of playing like a Huru controller, like we're talking about, I feel like we're hunting, which allows us to hopefully combo faster, but then we have like these non hunt cards that, but they're good because they give us more targets. Though I guess a merchant just always gives you more or less a target for your reweave. So it's not like you really need the extra bodies. But the extra bodies, I feel like in this case, a lot of them give you a little bit of advantage, but also help keep you alive. So this is just kind of a different way to keep you alive than Huru Control. Is that? Exactly. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. The card like Combre Lame just trying to like slow down the game for you to be able to do your thing without getting too much pressure against you. A card like Plunk allows you to just play a different game plan against decks that um, you know are going to keep con- counter spells up against your Conclave Siege. Um, the deck probably doesn't need all the, the hunt. Like I mentioned, I think Slinking Roach is a little bit Luckluster. I know, but it's talking me into trying the deck, so it has its role. It has uh it 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 is then it is successful. Um but yeah, it's it's kind of a it was an experimental approach to 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 that idea. And a a lot of these decks that we're talking about today are. Uh right. We we're not we don't have um these aren't sort of premier uh, decks to, to bring to a tournament, which we may or may not find out uh, about additional organized play for the game. Hopefully, fingers crossed that we find out that there will be. Um, but yeah, this is meant to be more just um, studies on uh, different approaches and where you can have some of these abilities um, add a benefit uh, in, in a format like Throne. Because like you mentioned, uh, when you asked, like, can you actually have a hunt deck? Well, not really. 
I don't think you can have a hunt deck in Throne. And this is not meant to be a hunt deck. Uh, this is meant to have kind of um, how do you take advantage of uh, most of the outcomes that you can have from hunt uh, so that it doesn't just feel like a mostly luckluster unit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's a, a good description of of what we're going for here. So yeah, that, that's really cool. So now we're on to some cool expedition decks. Uh, our first one is, I guess now a, uh, I'm a straight classic and that is, uh, FTS. And so what is this deck here straight? Uh, this deck was shared to me by Apple Chips, and I made some changes that, after playing it, was the like, first pass to the deck. And I played it a bunch, and I uh, made some changes. And at the end of last season, I think I was, I got to rank eight with it, and then I kind of stopped stopped playing for a while. So I think I dropped a bunch, but not because I lost it all, because I had a incredibly good win rate with it. But essentially, it's a um, not really a continuation, but sort of an updated, um, an updated list from where the the where our world's uh, expedition list was that uh, Apple Chips ended up winning worlds with. Um, so, slightly different take on it, but um, it's still doing Grumbo um, collection rounds dashing scoundrel stuff uh, right but now it has bone music and uh, a few more um little units yes yeah it's uh it, yeah it definitely reminds me because like you said it has some of those key cards from your guys's uh world deck so it is like an fts uh you know a tokens deck and this also has a bit of a sacrifice theme with uh, one of the new cards, you know, to start off with is Calculated Sacrifice. It has two copies. That is the one shadow fast spell with lifesteal, sacrifice a unit to deal three damage to an enemy. There's a two seek power, four collection rounds, four devour, four grove supplier. This is another new card that is uh, good with, uh, you know, going wide it's a two fire one two um, and your units have plus one attack on your turn so it's a, a mini anthem then there's the grumbo total legend there's uh four of those there's three bone music that's the card that we keep mentioning which is you know this card isn't dumping cards into the graveyard quite as fast as like the throne deck is this is more of you know you go wide and then units die, and therefore your maggot swarms get bigger. Um, and it's producing, I mean, you do discard a card, but it's producing two cards, uh, two board pieces for with one sort of one card. Uh, there's uh, the four dashing scoundrel, there's four exodus, there's four humbug nest, uh, four rickety ram cart, four rania miviox maniac, three Talir's Choice, and then uh, four Hive Queen Uther, though this deck was uh, posted in here pre, um, 
pretty balanced patch. So it'd be interesting to know whether this card would still make it now that this is a three faction deck and Uther is both one cost more and triple time. Yeah. Um, well said. Um, the one thing that I will say in terms of influence requirements is that this deck as it, as it stands, is playing like 11 time sigils. So the whole point of the deck is very heavy time with splashing the other two, almost splashing the other two colors to it. So I think that the influence is not going to be quite too bad. Um, although I think that the cost might affect it. So I haven't played this deck after the nerf to Uther. Uh, I'd be curious to see how it affects the deck, but, uh, but I think well said in all the points that you made, the reason why there's three bone music, not four bone music is because this deck is not as good as thrown decks and just discarding its own cards. So you're not just going to be producing really, really large bone music, uh, turns, uh, even as early as turn three. So it's, it's, it, it's a little bit more clunky in your hand. So I, I, I kind of went down to three cards and, um, there's also uh, two of, of the calculated sacrifice. It it has some sacrifice effects, but I think that's more of the nature of how those interact with bone music and just the fact that this version of the deck has more little tokens than than the previous one. So that has a little bit more sacrifice fodder, but it's not it's not so much like a a plan for the deck. You mm-hmm. don't need to sacrifice per se it's it's more the incidental sacrifice effects so uh, i guess my one question with focusing back on hive queen uther is if we're thinking that we would take this card out sort of based on your experience do you have a do you have a sense whether we should be looking for uh sort of an another top end replacement or just sort of more tokeny cards uh, I'm not 100% sure. I would not be surprised if Uther is still good enough to be in the deck. Right. Um Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what it would replace it with. Um Perhaps it could just be that you add more copies of the existing cards in the deck. Um potentially you might want to pick a card that adds another element to the deck. I know that um, Apple Ships initially had the um, the time relic that draws a card when you play your second uh, unit of the turn. Yeah. Um, but I found that relic to be a little bit, a little bit clunky. Uh, it, that card is so slow. Uh, Vault of the Praxis is the card that we're talking about. So it, it's a card that we even tried actually during Worlds prep. We were playing like two of in mm-hmm. the uh, Worlds deck, uh, and he was playing four of in, in in this version. It's if you if you develop it, it's you know it's 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 nice. It draws you cards, but it ends up being pretty clunky in the, some situations. From when I was playing the the deck out on on ladder, and I. I ended up cutting it for Devourers um, because they felt like they synergized well enough with Bone Music, just adding another unit in the 
in 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 the void even at fast speed you could do it and kind of like trick your opponent into growing the bone musics or responding uh to their removal spell by drawing some cards or you know your permafrosted uh grumbo gets sacrificed and you draw some cards as well and um it it felt a little bit better playing out that way right yeah yeah it this is this is pretty cool. It's interesting. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that you know it's playing a card that's you know it's like Talir's choice, which is you know a card that was buffed and is still pretty underrated. But I guess due to the fact of expedition and there's just not that many cards that make multiple bodies can see play. And, uh, cause I'm like really trying to dig deep, trying to think of, of other possible cards that could go in here. But. Alir's choice is most often used as, uh, as an Anthem effect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then the other mode, but the flexibility is nice. It's also a card that was in our world's deck for a pretty substantial amount of time. Um, but when we got into playing around with uh, Big Wheel, it kind of became evident that it was it would go either one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Although we did play a singleton uh Talir's choice, I think that ultimately we shouldn't have in the world's deck, most likely, and just played an additional removal spell. Uh we had three of of. So the next deck here is called uh Funniest Splashing Fire. And uh I'm assuming that is referring to Phineas here. Phineas still here is in the deck and this is uh the phineas from the last set which is the uh three time uh two three explorer when phineas takes damage and survives he gets plus one plus one in tomb draw an attachment from your void it costs less if it costs less than or equal to phineas's attack play it instead so what is this deck trying to be yeah this this deck is a forensic analyst deck more than anything else um, yes. so forensic analyst uh reads um a justice and three three total cost it's one justice it's a one four flyer and when it when an attachment goes to your void it flips into a four four flyer then when it attacks you make a one one flyer and you gain armor um so Essentially, this deck or this kind of combination existed when we had Zoltan Eldermark in the previous format. But we got Rift Crystal. We we had Rift Crystal released in the most recent uh, set, which was an additional relic that would just go into your void relatively easily. And at, this is kind of like the first deck that I made in the format. Um, so I wanted to explore what it would be like to have uh, more of these relics. So the very first version of this deck that I made was just Combray. And then eventually 
I splashed fire for the uh, boogeyman relic of um, creation of throne project. and expedition. <laughs> yes, a creation project. Yes. What else would you splash fire for <laughs> in a combat deck? Uh, um, we do have Alluring Predator and Exodus in the book. Yes. But no. yes, agreed. Oh, God. I keep accidentally erase deleting a card from the deck in the deck builder. Okay. Okay, yeah. So this deck, like you said, this is kind of like building around a powerful draft strategy for Expedition. Um, so it starts with the four Volt Zoltan Elder Mark. It has four Bren's Insight, four Hive Delivery, four Rift Crystal, uh, four Tinker Overseer, four Tinker Unionist, four West on the Trail, four Phineas Still Here, four Forensic Analyst, four Mystical Shackles, two Sharp Tactician, four Creation Project, and uh, four Hive Queen Uther. And then the market is Exodus, Alluring Predator, Rapid Development, Lumen Shepherd, Combray, Silex. So yeah, it seems like Direwolf was really targeting this deck probably with the with this latest balance patch. <laughs> Certainly, uh, it's not so much that every deck was playing Uther; it's mostly this one. <laughs> and Alluring um, Predator. Right? And Alluring Predator. Yes, that's yeah. true. I mean, it's probably, this is probably the only deck that's playing Fire, Time, and Justice together, I would guess. I, certainly Creation Project is not a very popular card, <laughs> uh, so that's definitely the case. Uh, yeah, so this is cool. So how do you feel like this performed after you experimented with it? It was doing very well early in the format. Um, I think it's probably fallen off a decent amount now that people have um, found different viable strategies. There are some very aggressive decks uh, out there, so potentially the straight Combray version is a little bit better in that it was also playing Save the Day, so it was it was a little bit more able to stabilize in the middle of the game against the very deck. And possibly you can just add Save the Day to this deck too and still play Creation Project. Although the combination of Save the Day Creation Project can be a little bit um, awkward at times. Um, it's a fun deck. And and as such, has the name Funniest. Um, but is it the most competitive? Probably not. Um, Rapid Development is a really strong card. You make a lot of units, so as long as you can stay alive, um, you'll probably do pretty well. Right. Um, I like the Hive Delivery Lumen Shepherd interaction quite a bit. It tends to draw you some cards, gain you some life because you're blockers. Um, it has some cool synergies. Uh, I enjoyed playing the deck quite a bit. Yeah, I really like, you know, like this is the deck second deck you mentioned um, that we talked about that has this Hive delivery and then a feat ability. Um, it's just like a pretty cool, powerful interaction. Cause like when you don't play the card, you shuffle it back into your top five. And so you're very likely to draw it again and get, you know, tw two fate triggers almost for the price of one. The reason why I, I started with the de uh, these decks was partially to explore 
um, what delivery markets look like in general. Um, so when we're talking about the uh, Maris Mandrake deck, I I built just straight up Mandrakes. I tried to maximize what what those fate effects look like. You can have Cruel. You can have various different cards in the market. So I think that deliveries are very interesting design space. It puts a different burden on how you build markets, and I think they're very good cards um, as long as you make build the markets correctly for it. Um, I saw a lot of people just playing delivery on their main phase for some reason, um, which everybody remember it's a fast spell. Um, and, and I don't agree that you play the card in a way that you get your market access card just to shuffle it in the top of your deck to then draw into it. That's something that you don't really want to be doing in my opinion. So you're either getting a card that you're playing immediately most of the time or you're getting a card uh that has some kind of effect right away so if you do want to cycle the delivery to draw a card you might as well grab a lumen shepherd because you're producing a unit you're you're doing something active at the same time as drawing your drawing into other things right exactly all right, so then I think our the final deck we're going to talk about here is uh, Stonescar Reanimate Stuffs. And this is another expedition deck. And uh, this is, as the name implies, a Stonescar deck. So what is this deck trying to do? Yeah, it's trying to do like a couple different things. But but in essence, it's there's a couple of cards. Um, Got a mid-range to top-end uh, stone scar cards or shadow cards and fire cards um, that either reward you for cheating them into play. Uh, cards like Furious Bandit, for example, or are a little bit on the more expensive side, like the sadistic uh, Grimalakin that we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm sure we're we're going to read what the cards actually do, but um, that kind of reward you uh, for getting them in play a little bit sooner. Although all the cards in this deck are castable units, so you could just play out the large units uh, by themselves. And then you're trying to use some efficient discard effect to actually get things into the void, or you're trying to use engraver uh, or a card called um, he did, he did compromise to, to kind of cheat things into play. All right. Yeah. And so the main, the only sort of reanimator card we have is this in service, right? So this is, we're sort of relying on either your four in service or your four heated compromise are the main sort of big cheats. Yeah. Or engraver to get you that extra. Yeah, uh, yeah, one or potentially two turn advantage if you also block with your right, and uh, so yeah, the card is the cards are for ascetic lantern again. This is just like a cheap discard outlet. Uh, for bombard, uh, this is the two fire discard a card to deal two damage to two enemies, and it's a fast spell. Uh, there's four toxology. Um, so again, uh, 
two more uh, discard outlets. There's uh, two bone music. There are four catalyze, uh, though this was again pre-nerf, pre so we'll see if this card still makes it. Though this does discard a guard, so it, it sort of fits the theme, even at yep. possibly even at three. Um, there's uh, four engraver, four heated compromise, and that's a four fire fire spell. You get six power this turn. You can play only one more non-power card this turn. So this allows you to at four play a six drop. Um, there is in service. There are four Rania Mibiax Maniac, uh, four Black Maw Carnosaur, four Ambitious Mandevilla, uh, four Furious Bandit, and that is the six Fire Fire six five. Charge Overwhelm Summon. If you have five or less maximum power, draw two cards. So this card is really, really strong when you play it with like a Heated Compromise in service or Engraver. Because uh, you get to play it early and draw two cards. And then there's the Sadistic Grimalakin. Grimalkin. And it is uh, seven Stone Scar, Stone Scar, six, six, quick draw. Deal six damage to another unit. If this deals excess damage, look at that many cards from the top of your deck, draw one, and discard the rest. And so, yeah, like you said, it's kind of understated for its ability. Uh, for its cost, but then it discards the cards, so it kind of helps fuel, you know, future possible uh, graveyard shenanigans. So it's a pretty cool deck. Um, yeah, it's a fun. It's a fun one to play. Um, it has uh, it has some cool combinations of things, um, and this was like I mentioned earlier, where I was like I was under the power of um the power of the relic weapon um longbow uh so it's not in this deck uh it could be it could be a valid um a valid addition to it as well but but yeah i was just trying to maximize kind of those that kind of cool interaction um trying to cheat cheat into play slightly bigger things um but that you could just also play as a as a mid-range deck and, and play them out if the game goes long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one question I just uh, sort of, before we close up here, I wanted to ask is, you know, we talked a lot on the last few episodes about how Rania was sort of the pillar, one of the most powerful cards in the previous expedition format. Is she sort of as strong now? Is it, or is, um, Oh god, what's this called? Or is Thera sort of powerful enough that she's not really quite as necessary to build around of a card? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the presence of Uther made it so that, and I'll add Zayat to it as well. Uh, that Renaya was not as impactful because one of the things that Renaya was very good against was that when you incrementally just play one unit at a time um, or when you were lower on life, it was able to kind of push the remainder of the damage through 
if you were to play one unit at a time, it was able to uh, pick off one of your earlier units and run it into the newest unit that you played to get to give you like two for ones. So playing an Uther, for example, not only is a card that just gains you a ton of life, so Renaya doesn't isn't able to kill the opponent, but it also produces like lots of different units. So it makes that you it reduces the number of situations that you can get two for ones. Um Renaya is still a very, very powerful card. But I don't know if it's as important in this format as it was in others. Uh, like we we talked about when during for preparation to for worlds that like at least I felt that that was the card that was the standout card uh, even more than creation project although uh, I'm sure lots of people would disagree with me. Um, like the best Renaya deck I felt was was kind of the place that you want it to be but i don't know if that's i i don't know if that's still the case right yeah, i would the, suspect that it's not the pull the, it's not quite as the as strong of a pull as it once was yeah and because of zayat you probably also can't sandbag it just wait to get the perfect moment for it because mm-hmm. there's a card like zayat in the format i think if I were to go out on a limb and say which card is the most powerful card in the format, I would probably say Zayat. It doesn't appear just the power level um, is that high. It's just that I'd be hard-pressed to say that you should build a deck that doesn't play that card if you want to be as competitive as you can be. Right. Okay, yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great place to wrap wrap it up, talking about sort of the pillars and pulls of the format here. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll be following it on this podcast, sort of, as things change. And uh, we'll be back in uh, a couple weeks, I think. We haven't talked about what our build-around card is, but there's a, a lot of cards in this new set that are currently underexplored, especially as the format's you know, shifting now that they've kind of balanced and toned down certain things like Uther and stuff. So, uh, yeah, some ex- exciting times ahead of us. Um, shall we end the show here? Let's do it. All right. Uh, cool. So, yeah, also, before we end, as always, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash uh, farming eternal where for as little as a dollar a month you get access to our our show notes um and uh get a shout out on the show we do have a new patron uh lucid iguana uh you can find uh them always in the draft queues and a sneak peek for those listening to this episode will be the guest on our next uh drafting episode um so look forward to that as well as our veteran patrons of D-Dub, John, Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low-Key Trickster, uh, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hummer, Raven Dragon, Esfrit 215 Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yisto. All right, cool. Well, uh, thank you, Straight, for coming on, uh, coming on the show. I really appreciate having uh, new and exciting guests every week. And any closing thoughts? Uh, 
happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed uh, recording the episode uh, with you, Padamaru. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, have a good one. Yeah, have a good night, everyone. <laughs>